Welcome to machine learning. So, I put the uh, Keras or the uh, credit card information uh, default credit card default data into my Keras network, and uh, I set it up with 24 inputs. Uh, actually, it had less than 24. It only had 16. But I used 16 inputs and uh, had uh, 24, 20, 10, and then uh, one output. And um, looked to see how um, it classified uh, the fraud, or not fraud, sorry, uh, credit card default. And what I used is a scatter plot. So I used the bill amount and the upper limit. <clears throat> and um, so the bill amounts are total bill they have on the card, and then uh, and then the, the upper limit is what the card's limit is. And then I used the prediction of the default um, as a percentage. And so it uh, it then would feed uh, if uh, uh, the, the sort of different levels of confidence as it related to uh, default. And what I noticed is that the where one was uh, confident of a default and zero was not is that uh, you either had a low credit limit and there was a default or you were in this middle range where um, you had a, a default and then you had where you had a, a, a lot of, of money that you were borrowing and uh, there was a default. So there was different stratifications that you could see in terms of the coloring where the defaults were occurring. And uh, then I did another scatter plot that uh, uh, showed the, the defaults as a, related to the non-default based on a color. And, uh, and, it, and it was kind of evenly distributed through the data. I mean, it, was, it did seem like that there was, uh, from the average, it, there, there was, uh, it was more defaults were occurring on the upper side of that credit limit than uh, the bottom where it was low credit limit. So uh, also where the billable amounts were really high. Um, but you really couldn't say that just because you had a high bill, billable, that um, there was defaults. And I, I didn't actually look to see what the correlation was between the payment and the default. So I, I or the payment and the uh, bill amount and the default. And I think I'll do that. I'll put that in there and see if there's a correlation, if there's some polarization towards individuals who are missing payments uh, and the probability of a default. So maybe they missed, uh, you know, three months of payments and, and then they default. 
But one thing that's interesting about Keras is uh, that uh, you're, you're really, uh, again, thinking about how the solution is moving, or the gradient descent is working. So the way gradient descent works is it's based on a gravity uh, principle vector. So there's a, a vector it's moving towards uh, that is an optimum solution. So it's numerically converging towards a solution where the error rate is decreasing. And so the problem is, is that you can get caught in these local minimums. One way to get out of the local minimum minimum is by add, adding um, a, a momentum. So the momentum variable then can sometimes take you out of those local minimums. And uh, so there's three types of uh, activation functions, sigmoid, uh, R-E-L-U, and um, Huber. And then there's, uh, there's different types of optimizers. You have ST... Uh, SGD, stochastic gradient descent. You have Adam, uh, which is adaptive mean optimizer. A momentum, adaptive momentum uh, optimizer. And the, the combination of these will work uh, differently depending on the complexity of your model. So right off the bat, if you have a small model, you probably want to stick with the default of Atom. But as you get a larger models, you might want to change your error function. So there's three different types of error functions. There's mean absolute error. There's mean squared error. And... Um, uh, um, RM, RMSE. Um, so those, those factors are useful in considering how to build your model. But the important thing is, is get your model up and running, make, look, take a look at the predictions, and then start, uh, you, can, uh, you can do uh, multiple feeds. In other words, you can have multiple inputs into your predictor and then you can merge them together so you could have an input and then a hidden layer and then a second input and feed that into an input layer and then you can add those together into a merge which would be your output layer <clears throat> so you can have multiple inputs and uh, and a single output with or in a in case of multi-class you could have multiple outputs So those are some factors to consider when you're uh, working with uh, 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 Keras networks. And it, it is capable, Keras networks, TensorFlow is capable of linear regression. It's also capable of uh, classification, categorical classification, uh, multi-output classification. And for that reason, it becomes really powerful 
when you are doing image recognition because you can have it recognizing uh, bicyclists, cars, trucks, stationary objects, lines, um, flat surfaces. And so the... uh, so these, the human brain has about 35 visual networks that are running all the time. You have these high-speed networks that tell us when something is um, fight or flight, your amygdala, and it's, uh, you know, it's processing really quick. So it's looking at um, images, and it's constantly, you know, letting alerting us to to different objects around us um, very quickly. And then you have more refined networks that are giving us color and uh, shape and context. And so <clears throat> we get these different networks uh, and, they, and it generates emotion, uh, familiar or not familiar. And so it, there are cases where people have lost the, their emotional processing and uh, they're very intelligent but they're just very so uncertain because uh, the emotional intelligence processing helps them know or recognize when things are familiar or not familiar when they see things that are not familiar then uh, and everything seems not familiar it creates uncertainty so the idea that we could be Vulcans without emotion is illogical. <laughs> and, you know, we could say that, you know, Spock's propagation of that doctrine uh, is a lie. Because you need emotions. You need emotions to be able to recognize things, to recognize uh, things that are familiar and a lot of times they'll say in the, when you take a test, trust your first decision. And uh, why is that? Because, you know, maybe that's the, the one that you're familiar with. You know, you've done your studying and, and you think about it and you go, that, that sounds familiar. I know there's been times where I've taken tests and had an idea that, you know, this was the right answer, but... Uh, I sat and, you know, reasoned about it. And the more I reasoned about it, the less confident I became in my selection. And so I abandoned it and chose something else. And then it turned out that I was, that was the correct answer. And, uh, and so, you know, it just seemed, it's interesting how important emotions are in the, your thought processes and in the ability to recognize uh, truths. Well, so now that you have a Keras, one thing I noticed is that the Keras uh, network does produce a lot of parameters. And even in this case where we're looking at uh, um, card defaults, credit card defaults, uh, the parameter count was like... uh, 400 or something like that and then you could imagine if uh, you moved this to a uh, convolution neural net and you were and you're running uh, image filtering through how large that network would get or if you're taking 
a large amount of text and you had uh, large sentence structures that you were feeding in to the network, how quick, <clears throat> how quickly um, your network could get end up with millions of parameters, and in some case billions of parameters, or in like a Turing case, trillions of parameters. And so then uh, computation again becomes uh, a function of hardware computational cycles and, and throughput. So then w- w- the question would remain is uh, do you focus on more hardware, massive parallel processing, divide the task up into batches, or do you uh, work towards efficiency, like uh, dropout rates that you can put on your network to uh, prune down the, the number of white connections and reduce the, um, reduce the excess noise in the network. Um, also, you know, feature engineering, uh, adding new features to uh, create more granularity and then uh, also uh, feature selection, uh, adding, uh, removing features that are, have uh, uh, that have little, little contribution to the model's accuracy. And so as the world gets more complicated, there's going to be lots of uh, engineers that have the skills to do feature engineering and feature selection, pre-processing, getting the data the way it needs to. But in the su- some sense, uh, it, it makes me wonder why uh, we can't just use neural nets to do everything. Uh, and that the neural net itself could learn um, what information is important and relevant and keep it and the information that is not relevant um, that it can prune from its network. So again, it seems like the the architecture of neural nets is still not mature, that it needs another generation that works more like a biological neural net um, in that... uh, uh, things that are important are kept and things that are, are not are discarded or or have less of a of a significant pathway. Well, neural nets. One time I was in uh, taking a graduate course and uh, was talking to a student, fellow student, and we were talking about AI and I mentioned to him I didn't think the AI was used that much and he pointed out to me that AI was everywhere and uh, that if if America did not use AI in its industry that uh, it would go broke um, that that was one of the huge advantages to American productivity is the utilization of AI and signal processing and uh, process control that that the the usage of 
mathematical systems was necessary. And after he told me that, I, I really have to admit, I was surprised at how many things have AI. Like your car has um, a, a, a form of AI. It learns uh, the proper gas to air mixture over time. And, uh, and then it adjusts to uh, different atmospheric pressures and, uh, and finds that, that optimum balance for the amount of air intake to the fuel while your car is burning. Uh, uh, the energy for forward momentum. And so that, that was one area. Uh, the, the, even in uh, at home, you have different AI that can be in your washing machine. It can be in your uh, refrigerator. There were some that they will detect spoilage. So it's monitoring different particles that are in the air. And when there's a... a a particle count that it it recognizes for spoilage, it sends an alert to you that there's food that uh, has expired or is spoiling. Uh, at one time, I thought that they they were consumerism was going to use very cheap AI, like there was a Tide had a, a deal where um, it could detect when your usage of the um, detergent was up and then it could notify you and then uh, uh, order a new new detergent bottle for you and it had kind of this low powered uh, chip and so that was on the box and I thought that was going to be pretty neat so I, I, again AI is everywhere 